Hey everybody, I'm Micah Rich. And I'm Olivia Kane. And welcome to the Weekly Typographic. A podcast where we discuss our favorite type and design news from the week. Hello, Olivia. Wow. I cannot come with that matched energy, but hello, <laughs> Micah. That was incredible. I can't keep it up. I was just excited from the countdown from the recording starting. <laughs> We got to send that to some agencies that need voice actors. I think they found the next big one. Oh, yeah. Oh, my gosh. Stop. <laughs> okay, okay. I'm really okay. going to send this over. I'm really going to have you hired as a voice actor. Sweet. It's going to be fun. <laughs> welcome to the Weekly Typographic, everybody. Hello. Hi. Hey. Hello. Welcome. Welcome. Last week, we released our wonderful interview with Beatrice Lozano. So much fun talking to her. Definitely go check that out if you want to hear some great insights from a design director and passionate activist. Didn't she get awarded something, Young I think guns? she's one of the finalists for the Young Guns. Yeah, Thomas was telling me about that. That's pretty exciting. Go Beatrice. Absolutely. Good shout out. So very excited to pivot this week into our regular style episode. We have some very fun, dynamic, uh, varied link uh, <laughs> destinations, varied <laughs> links. Why? Oh my gosh, my brain. As well as Nerd Alert, all about Dremel, please. Thank Not ready you. with the sound effects. That's supposed It's okay. That was pretty great impromptu. What type is used by startups? What design features is used by startups? How do people that are trying to show that they are lucrative in money and also are the next big thing showing up on their website design. We're going to talk a little bit about what we've seen in the past, what we're seeing now, different strategies people are using that may or may not be including just mimicking Apple. We're going to get into that. So first link is definitely a fun one because I think many people know we'd love to set the record straight on all the rules around licensing and that whole world of the font industry. And our first link is an interview with Dynamo, the beloved Type Foundry. And they interview Greg Mitchell from Font Shield Inc. At first I was like, I've never heard of a licensing consultant. This is crazy. And then I realized I've been on Font Shield's website before and have looked up, I think, Greg Mitchell's work when we've done episodes on licensing because He's worked with a lot of the higher profile clients like NBC Universal and Haribo. I know Gummy Bears had a font licensing issue. And so a lot of those big, big deal cases, Greg has kind of found the faults in and has been in the industry for 40 years. So has lots of insight about desktop publishing and all. Often he talks about how confusing licensing is and why his job is necessary because a lot of agencies and studios don't really have the time and resources to look into the fine details of legal licensing documents. And that's kind of where he comes in and he helps people get clarity on what's in a EULA and the do's and don'ts of licensing. And it's a really detailed and thorough audit of where we are in the industry and how licensing works. I think you were the one who had said, maybe we should like reach out and do a little workshop or an interview or something like that, because I think that would be some interesting insight. Yeah, absolutely. I read a few snippets from this that stood out, and one of them was, what do you think of free fonts, which has always been a hot debate, especially one that I love throwing hands over. And 
they said, other than Google fonts, fonts that fall under the OFL licensing model or free fonts offered by reputable font foundries on their own websites, I lack trust in free fonts for commercial use. And you hear designers say stuff like that, free fonts aren't trustworthy, but it's kind of different to hear basically from the law perspective. That suddenly makes sense because it's basically saying Google fonts are OFL. OFL licensed fonts are OFL. Like it's a very clear license. And then usually font foundries will, like if it's a reputable is is kind of a weird word in my opinion (laughs) for this, but we know what they mean. Yeah. Like a big font foundry that everybody knows isn't going to just like throw up some letters in a font file on their site and be like, ah, I don't know. No license. They're going to be like, okay, you can use this in this circumstance and not this. Yeah. I feel like that kind of echoes some of what you've talked about, though, before when we've talked about the difference between open source fonts and free fonts. I remember I was kind of fuzzy on what that really was. And to clarify, the OFL is the open font license, right? In case people haven't heard of that before. Cool. So many other people might be like, yeah, what's the difference between open source and free? But it's really when something's open source, you know what that license is. Rather than when something's free, they could say it's free for commercial use as long as you're using it for X, Y, and Z. Or, you know, they don't clarify what mediums of commercial use it's being used for. And that's when things get really fuzzy. So for a font licensing consultant, I could see why they get nervous, even if it's maybe someone designed a typeface and they're not really participating in a foundry model and they just have it on their website. And when there's no legal terms, it's more confusing than when there are that basically any sort of guidelines. Right. You know, I think Dynamo is highlighting this because they actually have a link somewhere in this article in the beginning-ish where they're talking about confusing licensing agreements and how they've been trying to shift from use-based to value-based licensing model for themselves. And there's a link in there that we've talked about these folks before and how they have changed their pricing model and how interesting it is. And they wrote this article that you can read about why they did that and how it works for them, which is pretty different than essentially every other font foundry that I know of. Yeah, exactly. So if you want to see how Dynamo turns the whole idea of font licensing on its head and looks at it from a different perspective, definitely go check that out. Moving right along, this is one of my favorite articles from the week, which fonts to use for your charts and tables and how to customize them. It's an article from Data Wrapper, who I think they provide services in data visualization. And they're basically helping you figure out what kind of font to use, how to use your font when you start doing data viz. And there's some really interesting insights and also examples. They'll show one of the first insights. I was like a little skeptical up front, but they were saying that you should use a sans-serif typeface when you do data visualizations because it's more legible. And I'm always like, where's the data behind that? But there is something to say that when you're trying to skim information, and especially information with numerals in it, and they show examples of a sans-serif versus a serif, and I can actually maybe get on board with saying that could be a rule for beginners that are not super experienced with data visualization Maybe just start with a sans serif. And then from there, it goes into much more detail-oriented advice of using tabular numbers instead of proportional. And great details that we've talked about. Don't use super light typefaces. Don't use really condensed type or wide type. Because it talks a lot about 
type that's optimized for small sizes. And the examples they give are just really spot on. I really appreciate it. I think that was what drew me to this article in the first place was the abundance of visual examples where even if you're just skimming and browsing the images, you can learn something just by seeing the before and after or comparison left and right. And I appreciate that. And that makes you want to go read it more, right? Yeah. They really talk about each rule and explain why verbally and visually, which I think if you're going to put an article out about the rules is necessary and appreciated. This is like an approachable Tufty book. Yes. The visual display of quantitative information. The classic book that everybody has on their shelf and nobody's read because it's so difficult to read. You always bring up Tufty. I feel like I know it. I like can remember who he is because of you. (laughs) I say it because I like appreciate all the insights from that book, but I feel like every paragraph I had to read seven times before I could move on to the next paragraph. I remember when I used to, when you'd be in school and reading a textbook and it'd be like, here's the reread again. Yeah. Here's an example on this page of somebody that I hadn't thought about in forever, which is Nicholas Felton. Do you remember Nicholas Felton? No. I might just be old, but he went by the name Feltron. I don't know why. And Mm -hmm. he was crazy. He ended up getting hired as like a creative director or something at Facebook back when Facebook was less ubiquitous, I guess. And like trying Mm -hmm. to make big moves into things other than generic friends and stuff yeah you know, this was like 2007 2008 or something was when that happened but i remember nicholas felton got hired and became known because he had the craziest most detailed analytics of everyday things that he did in his life for like an entire year and then he would do these feltron reports of the year with these crazy detailed visualizations and I was always so wowed by that. And I'm I'm looking like it, there's a link. If you look for Nicholas Felton in this article, it links to his website. And you can see a lot of the old reports. I was always so inspired by these reports. And I forgot that they existed. This is easily the best thing I've looked at today. This is so right? cool. I've look, I'm, I'm on the Feltron site. And I remember you have brought him up before. So this isn't the first time. But oh my God, talk about things you want to look at. And it's all typography and really simple graphics for the most part. Well, not all simple graphics. Not all definitely. simple. This makes me want to track all the data of my life. Yeah. Okay. First of all, in the back of my mind, these inspired Lee Gothic. I looked at these reports and I was like, I love this combination of this big heavy all caps super tall alternate gothic font combined with little tiny serifs or whatever i was like we need one of those and that was i think eventually where lead gothic happened incredible he was pretty inspiring in me being interested in coding too because a lot of these graphs were like it was so much data that he was keeping track of that a lot of this had to be generated with code And he was really, he was like pioneering processing. He didn't invent processing by any means, but like he was using processing in the design world, which was mm-hmm. pretty novel at the time. My God. Crazy stuff. This makes me want to do a whole report or something like I'm in school. I know. And in general, there's definitely great examples of here across the web too from actual media sources. So it's like data rappers suggesting some examples of how to do data viz. They're showing how other great design platforms are doing it. And then there's also examples like this Feltron one 
and a few others that show things that aren't necessarily following the easy guidance that Data Wrapper provides, but are still successful. And I'm into it. I'm so into it. Wait, last thing before we move on, even though I've already taken this way off course, I remember that he made an app to track your own data. And I just looked and it's still in the app store. It's called Reporter. Oh, I'm getting that. Reporter-app.com. It's like his style of design, which I always loved. And you could just come up with whatever categories you wanted and track it in any way. Like it was a good interface for, you know, he kind of categorized, okay, this type of data, you probably want to track it this way. And it was was fascinating. And he used that app for, oh, it looks like his 2012 report. He like only used that app to collect all of his data and stuff. Kind of cool. Kind of cool. Still there. Very cool, especially for any data biz nerds out there, which it's easy to be. Yeah. Easy to please. All right. Getting out of data biz world, we are moving over to Canva, who has unveiled their Canva visual work suite. Have I used Canva before? No, but I know it's relevant <laughs> because all of my peers talk about how much they hate it. But what? Oh, means, that wasn't where I thought you were going. I think mostly because for people that are operating on higher design platforms like Adobe, Canva is a very simplified version of that, which is great and accessible for the masses. I just know it's a little bit loathed by most professional graphic designers, but I digress. This work suite's like pretty insane. I saw the link and I was like, okay, what's this? But Canva is now offering docs, so like a place to hold all your documents, like Google Docs, presentations. This is like the whole Microsoft Office suite, the whole Google suite. There's going to be a whole Canva suite now. And they have one app that's dedicated for websites. So that's like if you like an alternative to Squarespace and all that, Canva's making it possible. I think Canva's in the hands of a lot of people these days mm-hmm. that aren't necessarily design like trained to be designers and it's more because they need design assets and they can't hire a designer which understandable this is just gonna make people used even more and they're just probably gonna expand a lot i can imagine from this all of the people that i know that are not professional designers that need design stuff use canva exclusively i know people who like have a whole business based on making a digital asset in canva and selling it on an Etsy shop or something. It's a whole way of life for a lot of people. It's a lifestyle, man. (laughs) (laughs) To me, it's not even like it's better or worse than Adobe. It's just less insane than Adobe. I -hmm. guess that sounds a little judgmental, but Adobe has 1,000 intricate detailed tools where Canva Mm -hmm. is like drag and drop some assets, put colors on there, and then export. Yeah, it seems like the learning curve is Mm. way shallower than it is for Adobe, which I think is the hardest barrier to entry for people that want to uh, to use a design tool is like Adobe's like, okay, go learn our interface. I'll see you in six months when you finally like understand it and can use it easily. (laughs) Ultimately, that's probably why Canva is so popular and interesting to see where this takes them. I think there's three interesting things to note about this now that we're talking about it. Mm -hmm. One is the fact that they kind of wowed everybody by starting with one tool. And then in this release, they were like, here's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven other ones. Yeah. And they were just like, boom, here's seven full fledged products that we just launched in one day. 
that's pretty nuts as a strategy. Obviously worked because everybody's talking about it. But I feel like most other companies would be like, oh, we're going to test out docs and see if people like it. And these folks were just like, now nah, we're going to build a whole suite and drop it. Boom. Yeah. So that's interesting that they took that approach. I mean, I haven't used them all either, but presumably they're all as polished as the normal Canva, at least in the way that they're describing and talking about it. The second thing that I think is really wild is the multiplayer. It's this real-time interface that we've been seeing more and more, or I've been seeing more and more in developer tools for startups. A lot of tools are starting to use this pattern of your name following your cursor and everybody can see everybody's cursor as you're using it on the screen, which is pretty nuts. We actually use a tool called Miro at work at Thought Matter, and mm. it's the same thing where you see people's cursor move. And so when we're like all looking at a mirror board, we don't have to share our screen in Zoom. It's just like, follow my cursor, and you'll like get to understand like what I'm talking about. That kind of started with Google Docs several years ago, but to actually see it come to life in like a more detailed way, it's, it's the future, man. It's specifically, it's turning into a real-time design pattern of that particular like name following the cursor. I've seen it mm -hmm. in a few other places. There's one, this is more developer related, but in the web designer realm too, my favorite web hosting company, Vercel, which is what we like host all of our stuff on because I'm a nerdy developer. They just launched this crazy feature where basically every time you push a chunk of code, they make a whole new build of your website and give it a whole unique URL. And if you're like integrating with GitHub, it will post that unique URL for that for that chunk of code before you like merge it in and make it official. And they just announced this new feature that has the exact same cursor following name commenting stuff. So you can comment directly on a version of the website mm. and be like, you know, I'm I'm watching my teammate click on the menu up here and leave a little comment being like, oh, this is two pixels off or something. Or like, we should change this to red. Yeah. And that kind of design pattern, I think, is as real time is becoming more financially viable from the back end perspective, there are more and more hosted companies offering that as a scalable solution, because previously that was just hard and costly. And more and more companies are having products that take care of that for you. I think we're going to see more and more tools like Canva suddenly just be like, oh, we can have multiple people on the screen at the same time. I was considering building this into, uh, we have like a custom email building tool for our newsletter. And I was considering building that in for us. So That'd that be fun. It's mostly just staff using it, right? Yeah. So yeah. she'd never see anybody else's cursor. Wow, look at the Micah trend forecast on your... Uh, yeah, how about that? Late September trend forecast. I love it. Okay, the third thing before we move on is Canva has like half a billion dollars in funding. Shoot. When you think of that number and then you think Adobe Figma, which is going to be Adobe now, Sketch, yeah. Canva is a legitimate funded tool that with half a billion dollars probably isn't going anywhere anytime soon. Yeah. Good point. All right. That's all I got. Moving on. Okay. Final link before we get into this nerd alert is the 2022 brand new conference, a brand identity that we unanimously enjoy. Me, <laughs> you, and Steph. 
it's a fun identity. It's a dynamic identity. It's weird. And this article that we included kind of talks about the process of designing that identity. The brand new conference is going to be held in Austin and inspired by the slogan, Keep Austin Weird. They're inspired to go weird with the identity and get something that feels like not just your run-of-the-mill design conference. And I feel like most most design conferences do try to pull out all the stops. And so they contacted this lettering artist, GEO, who I actually didn't know before this and a big fan of their work, who was doing these like barely legible letter forms. And <laughs> they worked with him and created this dynamic, ever-moving lettering, looks a little psychedelic kind of pattern. And that was like one of the basis of the graphic assets. And then on top of that, they include this really juicy cursive typeface from commercial type that's called Candy Darling and blocky Reminds me of retro woodcut typeface called Ozik. And that's from Eric Marinovich's foundry that has kind of come out in the past few years. So that was all, it's called New Form, Eric's um, type foundry. I want to just include that. So a big like a uh, cacophony of type all seemingly wouldn't really make sense together if you told me all of this without the context. But it turns out to be like a really fun, enjoyable I know identity for me. I don't normally like weird, goofy, kind of retro. Like, this is nuts. This is like most of the adjectives that I usually don't go for, but it is done just so well. And I wish I could put my finger on what makes it good. I really don't know. It's just good. We got to work on that because this is one of those rare times when I like don't have any descriptors of why I think it's so good. There's some basics, right? Like, the contrast, there's various levels of contrast that work. Yeah. The crazy stage runner, like headline of the crazy font combined with the pretty readable, but still sort of 60s vibe, like all caps. Mm-hmm. That's an interesting enough contrast, whereas also like the juicy font that you described <laughs> is like a strong contrast from that. And so there's interesting contrast with a running theme of. I want to use something other than juicy. Juicy is such a fun right? word. Right? Like retro and fluid. I don't know. It works and it's fantastic and it's impressive. And I really need to know is that a font or is it custom lettering for each of the times that they're using it? I think it's custom lettering. It has to be, right? Yeah. And GEO specializes in lettering explorations. I think that's why they partnered with them. And I guess GEO needed a starting off typeface from which to get weird from, which was the necessary kick in the pants we needed to make a selection. Oh, so I think GEO started with working with Ozik, which is the really fat sans serif they use in the identity, and kind of took it and made it freaking weird. And then I think made all these individual lettering pieces. See, that's really interesting because that's exactly the kind of contrast plus affinity that I'm always talking about, right? There's this hidden piece of they both came from the same place. So there's just like tiny little nuances that you can't even recognize, but your brain knows that they're related somehow. Right. It's amazing. I don't know. I just like love seeing peek behind the curtain on something that's such an unusual identity. And I just always... 
I don't know. These days I love being surprised by a font pairing and mm. it's like a very unusual one. And I, I think that's always really refreshing and refreshing to like see people be transparent about how to do things so other people can kind of get inspired and take inspiration from the process. Indeed. Incredible. Side note, one of the sponsors is Frere Jones. I don't think I'd ever seen Frere Jones icon identity before, or maybe they updated it. I don't know. Oh, that was just that was new for me to recognize. I never. Interesting. I think I have seen this before, but maybe not in this composition. I don't know. I don't know. It's cool. Yeah. Good work. Yeah. Rare. Cool. Jones. All right. It's nerd alert time. It's nerd alert time. So you brought up this topic actually many months ago that we should maybe think about how typography for startups work. I then went on an article search being like, okay, let's find a nerd alert related article to include in the newsletter. And no one's really auditing the design systems used in tech. So I feel like that's a future article I'd like to get Mm -hmm. up my sleeve one day is to like actually give visual examples and also verbally talk about what the startup industry tends to lean towards why they tend to lean towards it, and who's behind some of these trend setting. And so we picked a few websites to just use as a basis for what we talk about today. It was Citizen.com, Loom.com, Figma's website, Stripe's website, and Notion. They're either in the startup space or are trying to speak to people in the startup space, and they're all kind of tech-forward companies in the startup space. So I feel like they're trying to set the precedent for what it looks like to be a successful tech company. I don't really necessarily want to talk about these websites in any particular order, but one typographic trend that is very clear is we're in a grotesque world. It's grotesque. It's a grotesque world out there. Micah, do you remember 2016? Everyone's using the geometric sans serif circular. Yes, absolutely. Circular and Poppins was Poppins. the was the free version of that. I can't even remember because it was everybody. Like everybody loved that font. Yeah, it was used in logos and in the actual typography that these companies were using. Yeah. If you're trying to imagine what circular looks like, like what logos, I would refer to like the Airbnb logo uses a circular type typeface. That's a good point. Spotify. Not exactly that, but they have kind of the geometric sans. I mean, what's interesting is I feel like a lot of people who used circular then grew big enough that they needed to make a custom font, which was just Mm -hmm. like a variation of circular. Yeah. I remember when even Uber's typography, not their logo, but their type is like so similar to circular. Spotify's type so similar to circular everybody and their mother was like we need to make a geometric sans and let's not pay for licensing for circular anymore right (laughs) (laughs) they made good money for a long time and then everybody was like "Eh." yeah so one of our beloved brands that we were looking at though still does use circular if you want to see this in action loom loom can't get off their circular kick (laughs) they're still doing it And to be honest, yeah, it does look a little 2018 to me. That is like a slightly dated look. Interesting. I don't know that I agree. I don't, well, I don't actively disagree. I'm just like, I don't know what 2018 looked like personally. (laughs) 
<laughs> anyway, we should have gotten the Wayback Machine um, for today's. Oh, I didn't think of that. Today's. That would have been fun. But one thing the Loom does that everyone is doing. Okay, I'm going to need your help. It's like the tech indigo color. It's like this bright <laughs> blue purple that Loom uses, that Stripe uses, that I just feel like is super embraced by the tech industry. Figma has it. They're all different shades of this tech indigo color. I saw an article on this the other day. I didn't think to include it because we hadn't talked about this. Oh, his last name's Kennedy. He does like design courses. Oh my gosh. LearnUI.design, Eric Kennedy. He wrote a blog article about why so many startups use some variation of blue. And the crux of it, like the main reason was typographically, you can do so many variations of blue and have it be readable. Whereas other colors are harder to keep the right amount of contrast in a variety of scenarios. Like if, if a button is red, it really depends on like what shade and saturation of red you either have to go like black text on top or white text on top or something like that. Whereas like there's so many variations of blue, dark and light that work with that accessibility contrast. Yeah. That I think it's just real easy to choose blue, which I think if you get bored of blue, purple's not that far from blue. I know. I honestly feel like it's the startup world's way of being like, look, we're not a Chase Bank or boring corporate blue. Look at us. We have some spice with that little purple tint in our blue. Right, right. Um, Which is hilarious. It just also needs to be pointed out. Oh, my God. The industry loves their little purple blue, Sage. It's just an industry darling, as they might say. (laughs) Our tech I mean, similarly, other design elements are are obviously stolen across all these things. If you move Figma to the last of the list, if you look Uh at the websites of Citizen, then Loom, then Stripe, the notion in quick succession. Yeah. They all have this similarly sized heading typography. Yes. Followed by similarly sized paragraph underneath. Yes. Followed by, I mean, I guess the button size varies and that's yeah. their distinguishing features. But it's like a standardized thing almost that is unspoken. Left aligned on all of these. Figma does a little centered type. But I also meant to bring that up. And then I think it's also interesting seeing the details in all of this. I guess I should go back. I said it's a grotesque world, and then I started immediately talking about geometric sands. So if you look at the Stripe website, when I go to the Stripe website, I see that left aligned, really tight kerning on that grotesque type with a gradient nearby. Immediately think of Apple. Immediately. So let me know your opinion on this. But what? SF Pro came out back in like 2014 or something. And that was San Francisco. That was Apple's system typeface. And it was the first time they were like, here's our ownable typeface. This is what a lot of things in our system look like. And I personally think that not everyone immediately switched to grotesques, but I think that started the transition of the tech industry embracing grotesque. You see a lot of inter, the open source typeface used by startups. And then for companies that want to show they can go above and beyond, they have basically variations of more expensive, grotesque type. For example, Stripe uses Sone. I don't know if that's exactly how you pronounce it. S-O-H-N-E. It's a Klim typeface. That's going to be like 
bonkers to license and pay for. And then Figma uses a grotesque with fun ink traps, set it apart, called White. And that's actually, I think, from Dynamo, which is so funny that we were talking about them. But again, they're trying to say, we're like fun and tech, like all the other tech companies you love. But also look at us. We have our little flair to it, even though it's like probably not even recognizable by people outside of like the type nerd sphere. I think it's like barely recognizable. Like I think, you know, anybody would be like, oh, these fonts are different a little bit. I don't think anybody can tell the difference between like sewn on Stripe's website and Notion using Inter. Mm -hmm. I don't think that most people will be able to tell the difference there. But I think they'll look at Loom and be like, oh, I don't know. It's slightly different. Or Citizen and be like, oh, yeah, it's a little weird. I don't know. Yeah. It's different. Or certainly with Figma. Like, it's obviously different with their cool ass ink traps. I know. I know. And we've talked about that too. Like the actual just aesthetic differentiation you get when you use an ink trap font. Not because you want the ink traps, but because you just want to be a little bit different. I do want to talk about Stripe for a second. I've been told to reference Stripe when I was doing visual design for the web. And Stripe is like, Stripe just looks so goddamn good. Like the design on their website, every detail has clearly been picked over. And I remember reading recently that, you know, startups have the pressure to have good design because they need to prove they have funding. And if they have crappy design or engineering that doesn't work, how can someone really trust that they have the money to keep the lights on and really stand apart from the crowd. So I think Stripe being a leader in kind of the fit, like, would you say Stripe is a leader in like the fintech world, financial technology? Oh, for sure. I think it's a leader in fintech. I think it's a leader in developer tools. I think it's a leader in web design. Yeah. And I think because they actually have the extra pressure of, yes, being a tech company that has that's like flush with cash, but then also in the financial sphere, I think they are probably always taking a look at their design, always updating, always refining, always finessing. And I think like a lot of design is a lot of people are looking at Stripe as kind of a leader in that world because they know that they have no fucking room to mess up. (laughs) I mean, we don't know, but I believed it in the opposite. They have the money to spend. Money to spend also equals time to allow designers to experiment and dick around Mm. i have a lot of history with stripe stripe came to a good company before they were called stripe and they were like hey can you help us like with our branding and website and stuff and that was always like one of my big white whales and so i was like i followed them for a long time i went to visit them once when it was like 10 people in like a house in palo alto and we got hummus once, you know, down the street. And it was, it was oh, my great. gosh. <laughs> and the thing is, it being a credit card processing company, they mm. were bound to make money from the very beginning. And yeah. so they have gotten the best investors plus making profit from the get go. Basically, I don't want to jinx anything for them, but like it's almost like future proof, right? Like, when are you not yeah. going to continue to make money with this? And so yeah. it's really easy to invest in. They started with this really solid foundation of knowing we can't fuck around with credit cards and money. So we have to make this secure and peaceful and calm. Mm -hmm. And everything that I have heard from the people I know that work at Stripe, it is such a great place to work because they have the money to like 
give people time to experiment and like mm. I don't know. Have you ever looked at Stripe Press? Now I'm like on a Stripe kick. No. Press.stripe.com. Their design team just like makes these beautiful custom edition books of like design essays. Oh, get out. I've never actually gotten one and bought it, but like you can look at the PDF version of all these things and and like read them. And they're just like these beautifully typeset. I mean, book might be a little bit extreme. I think they're, they're more like magazines. Mm -hmm. They're paying their designers to do this. This has nothing to do with improving their product or marketing or anything. It's like they want the best people. They want to treat the best people as best they can. And they can afford to because they're just constantly making money. Wow. I think it's less like we can't screw up and more like we're good. We're set. Like, let's just be the best place for people to work. Okay. I can imagine there's probably a similar philosophy going on in the Apple world too. I mean, obviously different Apple's a stored company. Like it doesn't have, you know, it has like a lot of that legacy and I'm sure a lot of other philosophies behind it. But you can tell that a lot of these, you go to the Apple website, things like this are not designed in like a week. It's like every component feels just so well put together. And I don't want to like keep us for too long. But if you want to see who's really leading the charge and where a lot of stuff is coming from, just like start perusing the Apple website. You'll be like, oh, that's why everyone is putting gradients in tightly kerned text. That's why certain compositions are getting really popular. And and I love that you said, we were talking about this earlier, that Apple actually used to be, it's known for its minimalism, but these days it's like even taking that and stretching that in some new new boundaries and things are looking a little more maximalist. Not like maximalist capital M, but for a company that literally avoided any fun, expressive typography, even on their iPad website, they have like handwritten type with gradients in it. Interesting to see where things are going to start tipping the scales in the trend world for the tech industry. I would love to talk to an Apple designer who has like an insight on this shift for them. Because even like iOS 16 right? Where you can customize the wallpaper. Historically, Apple's stance seemingly publicly was like, we know the best lock screen for you. So no, you don't get to customize it. What the heck? We designed it. Yeah. The end. And them starting to open it up to not even just, hey, you can change some of these things, which is exactly what we were talking about, like not maximalist capital M. You can't go crazy. Mm -hmm but they Mm -hmm. give you a little bit more leeway than they did five years ago. But also like the typography choices for that. You and I talked about it because I was like beta testing the iOS 16 when it came out. I was like, oh, these are all gross fonts that you can pick from except for like these two. But it is that. It's like fonts that are Apple history, but trying to be more expressive. And like now that you're saying all this out loud, I'm wondering if like this shift into user controlled design has to do with the emergence of Web3 and like the emergence of the metaverse and everything that you want to experience digitally, like you are contributing to and you are a part of. If you think about the metaverse, it's like, who are you? What's your avatar? Well, you get to pick exactly who you are because this is made for you. 
and to make you feel like you're in control? Or do you think that's like not where this customization is rooted in? (sighs) Yeah, no, I'm definitely making the like face because I am just so freaking skeptical about Web3 and the metaverse. I know everybody's (sighs) talking about it. I've heard rumors about Apple Pay somehow being integrated with Web3 payments or some Mm. crap like that. I don't know. But I think you're probably somewhat right in that the ideals that outwardly everybody says this fictional future metaverse (laughs) that doesn't really exist. That's what people want is like you having more control over who you are on the Internet. I do think maybe that ideal at its heart is something that Apple is trying to get closer towards. So like, I half agree with you. I don't think that they're being like, well, we got to prepare for the metaverse. I think they're probably Mm. like meta's dumb. They're going to lose all their money and go bankrupt. And we're just going to keep working on our AR games. But I do think that they're like realizing that, okay, this is my actual belief on this. They're realizing that, As the newer generations that have grown up with more and more complex internet interactions integrated into their lives from the get-go, as they are becoming the main consumers with their spending power, I think they're realizing that the more you you grew up with the internet, not even just the internet in your life, because like millennials grew up with the internet in, in their life from being kids. It's not just that, it's also the advancement of the internet. Yeah. The more advanced it gets and the sooner you start and the more ingrained that gets in your life, the more you are going to feel like the internet is yours. Yeah. So the products just have to go along with that. Yeah. I think we could save a whole nother nerd alert for the font options on new iOS 16. So let's make sure (laughs) to circle back on those. Yeah. But yeah, I don't know. An exciting future ahead to see like where things are gonna go it might just be all ai powered uh uh design that's controlling the startups we have a quick little article on that in the newsletter if you want to if you're curious about how airbnb is using a generator to take handwritten wireframes into like actual wireframes but lots of good crazy stuff my friend what a fun time we always have fun don't we I know. This is such a good topic. I'm so glad you brought it up. I can't believe we haven't thought about it before. I can't believe I thought of a topic for the Nerd Alert. That's exciting. Excellent job. That's it. That's what we got. That's That's, what we got for you guys. (laughs) The end. (laughs) Goodbye. See ya. Thanks for tuning in. We hope to see you next week. And if you you can find any articles about people documenting what the tech world is doing design-wise, please send it our way. Indeed. All right. Sing us out. Do-do-do-do. 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 Do-do-do-do.